Coming live from Novato, California, USA is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Mark Venn, uh, straightway from Novato, California, USA, and he's an executive performance coach and a relationship uh, expert specializing in helping men and women have deep, satisfying relationships. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Kudanai. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for a short form, you can call me AJ. That is fine. Ajay, AJ will perfectly be all right. No problem at all. So uh, welcome to the show once again. And we'll be talking about ways executives can increase productivity in their employees. So Mark, uh, you are an executive performance uh, coach and you are also writing books on relationships and all. So how do executives work in a manner that they can increase productivity uh, in their employees as well as keep a good relationship with them? Most of the common business practices are about creating metrics and KPIs, which we hold our employees accountable to which is a good baseline, right? That creates a kind of accountability and an expectation that's clear. But there's a layer, if you want that extra something from an employer, if you want that kind of magic or that kind of high level output, you have to create the um, buy-in on the why the company exists. And those things don't live in the technical or in the KPIs, they live in the emotional center. And so there's something that I'm working with, which is kind of unusual. It's called professional intimacy. We usually think of intimacy as something that we do at home in our right. relationships or with our significant right. others. But the kind of intimacy I'm talking about with professional intimacy is where the emotional investment of the employee occurs. And that occurs when you connect with them from a human interest point of view and you get them enrolled in, you get them to buy in on the why, the purpose of the company beyond making money, beyond the manufacturing process and beyond the marketing, but why you're doing it. And it, it might seem unusual if what you're making, let's say you're making some kind of a massager or a pen or a, a product that doesn't seem to have a why. You connect to the user's grace, what it is in the user that is enhanced about their lifestyle. And you get the employee to recognize the value of that from a purpose perspective. Like, who, do, who are we in this world? What are we making? How are we making the world a better place? And it's not as simple as just, well, the function of it. It's an emotional connection. And that's the key to creating that next level of performance is to have a professionally leveled emotional connection to your employees. Right, right. I like this word, professional intimacy. So uh, could you elaborate on this? What exactly uh, it's all about? What does it encompass? How does this happen? And... In today's time, when uh, intimacy can only be, you know, mostly if it's perceived in terms of personal relationships, but in professional relationships, how do you develop that? And also, you know, the crucial part is that how do we develop you, how you develop this particular aspect of professional intimacy without unnecessarily intruding into somebody's life also? How does it work in a workplace? Well, there are things in a personal life that you don't talk about, right? And there are aspects of being a professional that are 
no go zones. Like we don't talk to women. If you're a man, you don't talk to women in a suggestive way. Or if there's a cultural difference or a racial difference, you don't breach those kinds of boundaries. So the first thing you do is you have an understanding of the the appropriate boundaries that are in the relationship inherently. But even with that narrow bandwidth of appropriate boundaries, there's still the human element. People are flesh and blood and they are driven by their emotions. That's We know this in marketing, right? Everything in marketing is about triggering an emotional response to get people to buy. But in our employees, how do we connect with them as opposed to try to manipulate, coerce, motivate? Like those are important steps, but there's a deeper way to bring that out. And that is the ability to connect to them one-to-one or in a group setting with a deep emotional resonance. And doing that, if you're a small company, it's easier. Let's say you're 20 people. Right. Then you can have more of a personal interaction with everyone. But if you're 100 to 500 or 1000, then you have to instill in your management team and the C-suite these concepts of how to connect with each individual manager and then teach those managers how to be professionally intimate with who they're managing. These techniques are very similar to home life, but you add in the boundaries. Everyone wants to feel like you're listening. Listening is one of the most powerful forms of being connected. There's something that is um, part of a book called Never Split the Difference. And in that book, he talks about what's called tactical empathy as an, as an approach to right. using negotiation. Empathy is a form of feeling. And I'll be honest, men are not very good. And especially high performing men, we're very dedicated to purpose and getting the achievement done. But we miss this last 20%. And it's through the lens of emotional intelligence that you can get this next level. And it takes practice and it takes skill development like anything else. And it starts with knowing yourself. So oddly, the best way to have a rapport with someone, the best way to have professional intimacy with someone else is to notice your own emotional state from moment to moment. And so I'm also a meditation instructor. So I work with my clients. I start them with a very basic, not complicated. You don't have to go for a guru. You don't have to buy in on any religious concepts. But your body functions very particularly. When you breathe in through your belly, you activate the vagus nerve and you calm yourself. And then you can sense what's happening. And your body gives you clues. We talk about feeling fear in the gut. We talk about feeling tightness in our jaw when we're angry. So when we learn to observe our own emotions in a really powerful way, we can then begin to anticipate and relate to and take signals from our employees about what their emotional state is. Now, granted, you can have emotional states that are non-functional. You can have types of employees that are victim-based or that are trying to you know, get away with stuff, right? So it's not that... You have to become their psychotherapist, but you have to know how to connect with them when maybe they've gone a little off their productivity. What is it about their motivation that's slipped? And it takes some of the techniques that you can learn in that book that I mentioned again, that are about tactical empathy and how you speak to them matters and how you listen matters. So repeating back to them what they said to you is a great way for them to feel like they've been heard. But then how do you do that across a global network? How do you do that in a way that's in a big organization? Well, that takes training. You'll need to train your managers. You'll need to train yourself. 
or you need to bring someone in like me who can who can begin that training with you. And, you know, you can do a two hour seminar, but it's not really going to stick like anything else. It's like a 21 day process. If you want to change a habit, you start with the 21 days and then practice after that. So one of the things I do is I work directly with executives in like a three month package or their teams and we develop these techniques in practice, in dyads, where we square off and we ask key questions. And some of the key questions are, what's, what are you feeling right now? Well, why would you say that in a professional environment? Well, because right. someone's emotional state is the doorway to tactical empathy, right? And that's the best way to motivate them is for them to feel like you think highly of them, that you care about them as human beings, right? Because that's it. We're all human beings. So that last 20% of their productivity comes from that personal emotional connection that they create with the why the company is doing what it's doing. What is the human value of what the company is doing? Right. Right, Mark. Now tell me one thing. Why should the employee believe the management or the executive? Because uh, on one side, they may attempt... Uh, for professional intimacy and they may be, you know, right in the way they, they are doing and true to it. But the employee will think the same guy is going to hand me the pink slip after some time. So is there, uh, where is the meeting ground in a situation like that? Because especially in times of COVID, even the way employees have been fired in many places have not very humane. And then we, when you bring such sort of a concept into uh, the system with an aim to increase productivity, how does it work in, this, in such a backdrop? Well, it starts with connecting beyond the level of productivity. Productivity is the goal underneath this, but it's not what's front and center in the discussion. So trust and connection are the two keys to this. So if you don't trust your employee to produce for you, you're already in a damaged relationship. So how would you restore that? Well, that takes kind of an understanding, human empathy, right? And then you have to go a little bit deeper with them, not in their personal life necessarily, but what it is that they're missing about your mission, the mission of the company. And so again, trust breeds productivity. So if you, and connection is the path to trust. So how do you create connection? Well, you have to take the time and energy and put your attention on people. And if you can't do it as a CEO, which is reasonable, you have to train your managers how to put the right amount of time and energy and attention on the employees because you can't have people babysitting, right? You can't coddle people. But at the same time, a 15 minute meeting every month when it's done right, can really make a huge difference in understanding how the employee's emotional landscape is working and asking them the question, what do you need, right? That may not be something you can provide. Oh, I need enough to make 100000 a year. Well, okay, maybe you can't do that. And, you know, that's not a real obvious thing that you can change. But then you ask the secondary question, well, what do you need beyond salary to make this job more... Um, human for you right and we've seen in valley and other areas where like foosball tables and the free lunches and ultimately the results of that have been mixed 
But there's also been studies that say salary doesn't motivate people very much at all. And Simon Sinek's been really clear about this. People's motivations come from their connection to the purpose and the why of what they're doing. And so that connection is always in a human being based on the emotional resonance of what it is they're doing, right? So if you're in a, uh, a garment uh, manufacturing business and you've got people making hundreds of shirts or hundreds of pairs of pants, that's a challenge to enroll them in the why of what they're doing and how it matters, especially when what you're trying to do is get their piece counts up. But I guarantee you it's still about their emotional landscape. And so we find ways to create the kind of environment where their emotional landscape is better. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's some kind of art or, you know, putting the soccer match on a, on a, um, or the, you know, whatever the appropriate local sport is on a screen in the room. Now you would think maybe that's a distraction and they're going to, there's going to be more injuries or something, but even those kinds of things can make huge impacts in the employee's desire to perform. And that's the key. Motivation comes from the emotional connection that they have with why they're doing what they're doing. You'll get compliance level, but to get that last 20%, you've got to create professional intimacy and it takes work. Right. Right, Mark. So in terms of productivity, now if the managers tell them, okay, let's try and do this, this, this thing to increase productivity. Employees, we say, we are already giving our best. What more do you want from us? So what is it that increases productivity. It is the, is it the number of hours? Is it, this, this uh, is is it something gets, else? How, how does it work? And where does actually productivity come from? Well, if you go into the conversation and have it be about KPIs and about productivity, they're not going to connect. There's not going to be emotional right. resonance there. Right. The, it's covert. You go in and you actually learn how to care about your employees at a, a boundary level, a professional level, right? We're not talking about becoming enmeshed in all of the things that are happening in their life and their stories about how difficult it is to manage that based on the pay they're getting or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is they feel your curiosity or the manager's curiosity and the manager listens and acknowledges what they hear and then they don't say well our kpis need to be this or our right that's a different discussion you have that discussion in another context it's like you have the metrics and you have the methods and you have the production you know strategy and the pipeline and the the way that it's all made most efficient and you have those meetings and you have those conversations, but then you also have one-on-ones or small groups where what you're actually asking them is about what their emotional experience is and what can we do to make that better. And even if you can't be a big yes to their request, just acknowledging that you heard them can give them the sense that there's a little bit more emotional connection. But you also have to be willing to show up as a human being yourself. And if as a manager, all you are is about the KPIs and the the, the things that they are supposed to be delivering and your feedback to them, then that's the only basis you're going to have for the level of intimacy. And that's like, that's mechanical. And you have to create a human connection. And it's tricky. It's not easy. To do that requires an emotional investment on the part of the leadership. Leadership 
in my view, leadership is service. So what you're learning to do is serve the employee in a new way. How do you create the sense that you care about them within the boundaries of a professional structure? And that's the art of professional intimacy. Right, right, Mark. But if you say leadership is service, and I totally agree with you, but do leaders also know about this? Because uh, then their, their uh, concern would be serviced to what? Is it about the revenues, the bottom lines? Or is it about uh, listening to the board? Is it about the stock market? Or is it about employees? How does it work? Because uh, they have to manage so many dynamics at the same time. Every one of those arenas has a kind of separate strategic importance in the organization. And so each of those arenas are also populated with people that manage those processes. And so the connection with each individual person in those processes is the gateway to professional intimacy. And when you do that, each one of those separate categories, those silos, if you will, take on a human quality to them. And it's a fine process. What we're talking, I mean, in some ways, it's easier to get along with your wife and family than it is to create this level of professional intimacy because the boundaries are looser. You have more leeway, right? It's a challenge. Like what I'm talking about is challenging. It is not easy to do necessarily. But if you want that next 20%, you look at each of those arenas. So let's say you're talking to your um, accounting department and you're working on how to get the stock price stable or up. You're going to work with them at an emotional level and then see what it is that they can do to drive themselves. When they, when you succeed, you'll see their invigorated presence. They're not going to be at the water cooler much more. They're going to be sending you that extra email where suddenly that thing that's been a problem, they've had an insight into how they're going to solve it. When people emotionally invest in what they're doing about their why, they start to think about things in a deeper way, instead of just a cursory, like, what can I do to get through this shift today? How can I show like 12% input or whatever? This is about firing them up, igniting their desire to perform. And in the end, towards the back end of the conversation, once you have been able to develop the rapport, then there's the expression of vulnerability, which is where you say something along the lines of, it's really important to me and I lose sleep, and this is the CEO or the manager talking, over how, our, how we're doing in terms of our KPIs. I'm worried and I, um, it's important to me not to fail. What can I do for you? That's a little different than if you guys fail, I'm going to start cutting back your hours, right? Consequence-based motivation versus empathy-based motivation. That's basically what this all comes down to. Right, Mark. So who does this? Is this the CEO, your manager, uh, uh, who has been, you know, uh, difficult perhaps in the past? Because you see, the story of the great resignation during COVID speaks a lot about unhappy uh, places, people not happy with their work-life balance, and also wanting to do things that actually make them happy. And also look at this aspect. Almost when the COVID is 
almost on the vein. Uh, then earlier during COVID, everybody said that, listen, you can work from home. Everything is possible working from home. And now there is a tussle going on where management wants you, several of them want you to work from office. And the employee says, no, we are fine working from home. So there has not been a great understanding at several places on this. And what has happened is a lot of people have resigned in uh, protest or if their condition was uh, that they could afford this. So nobody wants to now uh, live the life, the life that they have seen during COVID that, yes, they can spend the time with their family as well as do the work with better productivity. Obviously, a lot of work has happened during COVID. So how does it work in such a backdrop and relationships get rebuilt and good employees are back into the system? Obviously, everybody needs a job. A lot of people are working. They will continue to work because you need to pay your bills. But a lot of people who can just even marginally afford to live a life of their own, they are venturing out on their own. So how does it work? in today's environment where you can rebuild relationships and actually it leads to productivity for everybody. I think we're figuring that out. And I think it would be disingenuous of me to present myself as having all the answers. You asked at the beginning of that question, how do you do it? It starts with the, the leader of the company, whether that's a man or a woman, exemplifying and being the example. And that means saying things like, Last night, I had an argument with my wife because I took work home with me. And I want you all to know that I'm doing everything I can because I believe in the mission of this company. We are making medicines that save people's lives or we are building, you know, important parts of a technological device that leads to, you know, diabetic monitoring. Whatever that deep human mission is sharing the vulnerability and the personal experience and following up with then the real curiosity where you check in and you say, I want to know how you guys are experiencing your life. I want to know. I want you to tell me and setting that up either through, I think it's got to be personal. If you do it with forms like a Google form, it's really not going to be as personal. You need a manager or, or, or the CEO. Again, it's, the challenges are magnified by the size of the organization, but you can still, just like you use top-down management techniques, you can use top-down empathy techniques, but you have to train your staff how to exemplify those same ideals. And then you have to attune that to this idea of creating buy-in around productivity and around motivation for the reasons the company exists. Why does this matter to you on a heartfelt personal, human mission, almost spiritual level, which means that cultural differences are going to come into play. So the way you do that in India is going to be different than the way you do that in Bangladesh or the way you do that in Japan, right? And so each of these human contexts have particular variables and particular styles of how people relate. But the fundamental piece is the same. We all want to be heard. We all want to feel like our, our life means something. And that's the key, connecting the emotional inspiration to the meaning of what it is they do. And that takes emotional intelligence and professional right. intimacy results from a kind of emotional intelligence. Right, right, Mark. So talking about emotional intelligence, uh, Mark, 
COVID has also shown, or and also likewise, our workplaces, so many of them, uh, people tend to say they have become uh, more stress, uh, stressful, almost toxic. And there is a lot of uh, aggressive, passive aggressive behavior from quite a number of people who have their own agendas. Now, you consult a lot of people organizations, top managements, and everybody, and you advise them. How do you see in your understanding of different issues at different places in management among employees is the need to hire people now? Is it only about IQ? What about EQ? Are they understanding the importance of EQ? As they go by, how does it matter? Uh, how does this work together? How do you see this panning as we go by? As you said, we are all trying to figure out uh, as the COVID is, is, is decreasing day by day, how do you put all these things together to make our workplaces better and more humane? It's tricky because when you're dealing with toxic personalities, narcissistic personalities, or as you said, passive aggressive people who undermine the security of their fellow employees, you actually create a very powerful statement when you discipline or eliminate those kinds of inputs. So it's really powerful to, to come in and say, look, this isn't working for us. We're going to let you go. And you have to work with your HR department to make sure that you follow all of the legalities of your particular area. But there are ways when you when you an organization should recognize when people are having a negative emotional impact on their fellow employees and understand the value proposition of that and be willing to cull from that point of view and then also hire with that part in mind. And, and your hiring process can include EQ based questions. You know, what is it you want to have in a, in a work environment? How does it you want it to feel when you're at work? You don't necessarily have to provide just what they want just because they're asking for it. But you begin to develop a brain trust around what it is that certain employees bring in as part of their questionnaire. And so when you hire someone and you look at their the way they answer those questions and then you look at their productivity curve over a two year period, you begin to see a basic blueprint for how to hire and how to fire and who to have and who not to have. There's a level at which you could get into training. Like one of the things that happened when I was in the film industry was that company invested a lot in training me in terms of communication skills and how to have good problem solving skills. That, that training was very powerful. So there's this balance between how much you want to invest in training people around EQ versus also having your HR department have KPIs around the emotional responses that people experience around who they're working with. Now, I think there are some issues, especially in the United States, where you can't fire someone necessarily because people don't like them. That's called discrimination. But if you tie the level of emotionalism or their behavioral pattern to their productivity in a consistent way, you develop the basis for what you would call disciplinary action because you have a formula that ties the EQ and the way that they're part of their corporate culture into their performance record. And then you use that as a neutral metric, not a discriminatory metric because you're holding everyone to the same accountability. Right, right, Mark. Now talking of, you know, uh, making career shifts during COVID, earlier also people want to follow their dreams. Somebody who's 
landed up in a different sort of a job, but they want to follow their heart. And it's happening. And it's happening more nowadays. You have also made that shift. You just talked about film industry. I was about to come to that. That you made the shift from the film industry to becoming a, a professional executive performance coach and a relationship expert. Now, what would you, can you tell us first a bit about that film industry background of yours? And secondly, what would you tell people who are looking at, you know, following their heart, uh, chasing their dreams uh, away from uh, the corporate life that they are living right now? So how do they uh, make that shift? What points should they remember while thinking of that? That will be very helpful because you have seen it, done that. Well, a little bit about my story. There was a period in my life after 21 years with the company as with, and um, my NDA prevents me from naming them. But in that company, I had a lot of responsibilities, one of which was using communication skills in working with the C-suite to develop their messaging for how they marketed things and how they delivered sales pitches and, and various presentations. I worked a lot with corporate presentations in that role. And Getting the message to resonate with people was something that we worked on together. So I, one of the things that happened was I was already sort of doing this in that role, but it wasn't an official and as a coaching relationship. It was just a per, the, the role I was in as far as messaging and those sorts of things. When that company was sold and I was no longer interested in being part of the, the new regime because there were aspects of it geographically that I didn't wanna do. And they were putting me in new departments and that I felt like the, the commitment I'd made and the, the enjoyment I had had wasn't gonna be served. So I made a very clear transition and I didn't stick around and be resentful with my new employers. I was like, hey, I wanna leave you really set up well, but I'm not interested in moving to this new location. So let's take a transition time together and create a good result. And that really matters. Like my, the employers that bought the company I was with were really happy when I left, right? So again, that emotional intelligence piece, because I worked with them. Then secondary, my marriage was crumbling. I was in a transition period in my life. A lot of people refer to this as a midlife crisis, right? And so I had to understand myself and I did the work. I went and I studied things and I went to workshops and I began to realize that I had this talent that I was using that I hadn't fully developed. And so I then invested the time and energy to study and get a new group of certifications. And, and it's interesting because DEI certifications, diversity, in inclusion and equity certifications sort of morph into this emotional intelligence story right? And coaching was something that was benefiting me as I, I learned to understand my own life and, and to examine the parts of me that I no longer wanted to keep. And the practices that it would require of me, just like working out, if you want to lose weight, you got to work out. If you want to develop stronger communication skills, you have to understand yourself and where you're communicating from and, and where your blind spots are. So as I was doing that work, I was working in men's groups and men's work, and I realized even as a student in these groups that I had an intuitive sense and a skill at communicating with my fellow attendees that began to bring out results. And I realized, oh, I can do things that will impact humanity and help people grow in their own way. 
And that was the next level mission for me. I realized that I could make a difference in the world one man at a time at a personal relationship level and also in their work level and their productivity level. So I began to study and every I still have a coach. I'm about to start another program in October that's going to kick my rear. It is going to drive me in ways that I haven't yet learned to explore for myself. And I've done a lot of work, but pushing your edge every day, especially men, men need to know where their growth edge is and to go after it. And that's a thing that's just inherent in the masculine tendencies that men have. And yeah, I'm being a little general here. Some female bodied women have strong masculine needs urges too. And I'm fine with that. It, but the process is where can I get better? And what do I have to do to strengthen myself around these issues? Well, you challenge yourself. You look at where your blind spots are and you start to practice the things that are, are not strong about that. Like if I want to be able to, to lift more, I need to work those muscle groups. And that's right. what I'm doing. So how does that relate? When I discovered that I could solve a problem that existed. I then did the work to develop a business that would create the skills and create the means by which that problem could be solved for other people. And so, you know, the website's just one thing that most people don't even look at websites anymore, but the idea that connection and conversations and skillful means of listening could begin to develop relationships they would then open the door to helping people improve their lives. So one of my mottos is a happy home life means a productive C-suite. If your executive, male or female, is struggling with their relationship at home because they're overworked, they're, they're not giving the proper attention and emotional connection to their family and to their spouse or to their partners, then they're going to be worrying about that during the day. And it's going to suck their power and suck their ability to be really excellent in the workplace. So it's a two-pronged thing. It's like if you want to be a great CEO, you need to make sure that you and your partner and your family are on good terms and you have good relationships. Because then when you're at work, you feel their devotion to you succeeding because they're enrolled in it and they're not, their needs are being met. And that's that ties back into professional intimacy. Your employees have basic needs that are emotional and they need to be met in the workplace in a way that's got boundaries around professionalism, but also remind everyone that we're all human beings and we're all in this together. That's the key. I found a way to make a difference in the world one person at a time. And I continually refine myself and engage in conversations and have people give me feedback. And then from that, I try to adapt and adopt new disciplines and new practices that allow me to be of better service in my leadership capacity. Right. Right, Mark. Thanks a lot for all this, you know, insights and a lot of learning while talking to you. And I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from, from this whole conversation and expertise from you. Now, Mark, if people want to connect with you, how do they do so? Uh, and if they want to associate with you, take your help, uh, get your, you know, professional, uh, engage with you professionally, how do they do so? My website, markwentcoaching.com, has a link on it where you can book a free hour with me, an introductory call. It also talks about my experience and some of the philosophies behind what I'm doing. So if you go to M-A-R-C-W-E-N-D-T coaching.com, 
you can book time with me and we'll have a, a conversation. You can just go right to my Calendly and we'll get on a Zoom link together. And so I welcome that because even in those introductory conversations, I can make a huge impact even if people don't necessarily want to work with me professionally after that. I'm also on LinkedIn. My phone number is right on my website. Like, it, you know, it's a professional number. I turn it off at night. So when I'm with my partner and I'm making dinner, I don't get interrupted, right? I have my own boundaries. But we're in a challenging period in human history. And I am committed. When my life is over, I will know that I have gone person by person in my life and given them the attention and the input that really matters. And we will create a better world one person at a time. And I want everyone else to know how to do that for themselves. And that I sleep easy at night because of that. And also because I take good care of myself. It's such a wonderful thought to take home. And it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much, Mark, for your time. Thank you for the invitation, KJ, and I hope that you'll reach out to me if there's any way I can support you on your journey. We've all got a lot of work to do. Let's get to it. Thank you. Thanks.